0: Welcome to the Seeking Excellence Podcast, episode number 106. This is your boy, the host and founder of the Seeking Excellence Podcast, Nathan Crankfield. It is great to be with you today, my friends, all you hood rats and hooligans out there. Um, Very excited to record this podcast. This is one that was requested about six months ago um, by several people after we did our first kind of like financial introduction podcast. And uh, it's one that I'm very, very passionate about. I kind of, Gave a little bit of an introduction to it, I feel like, last week with the What Protestants Do Best podcast. But today, my friends, we're going to uh, dive into some financial excellence. If you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen last week that your boy tried to record this podcast. I got about 15 minutes in, and the uh, they were doing like leaf blowing outside. It was super loud very annoying a couple minutes later my whole like everything the whole power in my apartment just shut down so wi-fi gone computer um well i just unplugged the computer basically but uh messed up zoom messed up the whole recording so it took me a while i, I was a day off i had veterans day off uh thanks to hallow very grateful for that and i wasn't really motivated to record in the morning and then in the afternoon i was like super hype i was re- really ready and uh got all pumped up and was ready to ball and 15 minutes in i was super excited i had a lot of energy <laughs> just got dumped on just got dumped on by life which has kind of been a theme of the last like year and a half Not year and a half like uh of 2021 really just a lot of L's. Uh, but you know what nevertheless here we are it's great to be with you now um my goal with recording last thursday was to try to get out of this habit of recording the night before I post the podcast and doesn't look like that's going to be broken today. So uh, this is going to be posted. I'm recording this the night before. uh is coming out on November 15th. Really pumped uh, to share this message with you guys and just kind of some of my philosophy around money, financial excellence. And it's something that I've, I've taken to uh, becoming just really interested in and at times obsessed with, not obsessed. Obsessed sounds extreme, but uh, really devoted to learning about uh, just financial literacy. You know, I think it's something that we really undervalue a lot of times as human beings in general, as Americans in general, but also uh, as as people, members of the church. And so it's something that I want to clear up, something I want to change and, and something that I'm really passionate about. And so I'm going to share with you some of my journey first, and then we'll go into some of the basics that I've learned. Now, something important to understand is that I'm not a financial expert. I'm not a financial advisor anything like that. I'm just somebody who likes to learn about this stuff. And so I've read a lot of books. I've listened to a lot of podcasts when it comes to financial literacy, uh, just something that I I like to learn about. I talked to a lot of people about it. I sought out mentors in my life to teach me about financial principles and and ways to uh, handle your money. And so my story with financial literacy really comes from uh, my upbringing is where it kind of begins. So growing up, I never really was taught much about how to handle your money. Okay. So I think I saw a lot of things of what not to do in certain circumstances, but um, you know, within my household, money was always a point of uh, contention, anger, uh, division, I guess you could say in a certain sense. And I think that I saw it as something that really drove uh, you know, my family apart in a lot of ways. And it really, I think, made me passionate about not wanting to not only struggle financially, but really be on the same page with my spouse one day financially. Um, and just really have a deep understanding of how I can avoid being stressed about paying the mortgage or the rent each month about paying the utilities, not having to work multiple jobs, my wife, not having to work multiple jobs. How can I avoid some of this financial hardship? Cause I was really exposed to so much as a kid, um, and like diversity in the, the I guess you could say like the classes, I guess that I was kind of raised in. So I always describe my upbringing as like middle-class, maybe lower middle-class, um, but I was around, you know, going to Catholic school, I think this is true for a lot of people go to Catholic school in a city, you're, you're exposed to all types of different backgrounds, right? So we had some pretty wealthy friends growing up. Um, and we had some some people who were not so wealthy, right, lived in the inner city and stuff like that. Uh, and the same thing went for my family. So I had family who lived in the country, family who lived in the inner city. Um, I had my grandparents who are you know pretty financially successful and have a nice house and a pool and all this stuff and i spent a lot of summer times there then i'll spend time with my uh with family members in the city where it's like you know can i borrow a qu- can i have a quarter or 50 cents to go get a snack at the store and it's like i don't have it you know and so i i you know i went from that to then going on a road trip with my grandparents and like eating prime rib every night so i had this like obsession with prime rib when i was like 10 through 12 <laughs> i still love it i still love it. we actually just decided to have it at the wedding um so that's exciting so I'm pretty stoked for that but it you know I just I share that to share some of my background where it was really just kind of diversified but nobody really ever taught me about money and so when I graduated from college it was the first time I I you know I made my first paycheck with four four figures <laughs> which is not a ton of money but you know when you have a comma on a paycheck it's kind of a big deal when you go from I had been making like a stipend an ROTC stipend in college a few hundred dollars a month but when you go from that to making you know uh, over a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars a paycheck, fifteen hundred, whatever it was at the time. I don't know. Uh, it's pretty mind blowing, right? Like it's pretty substantial, pretty big jump. And so, um, to be to be clear, uh, you know, thanks to government efficiency, I didn't get paid for the first like two months or so that I was actually active duty and down in Fort Benning, Georgia. And so, one of the struggles with that, this was true for, not just for me, it was uh, I think my whole class there. One of the struggles with that is you have to buy like several uniforms and like army uniform can run you from like 90 to $150 right for the top and the bottom and stuff like that. It might be more, it might be less. I can never, I can never, I can't really remember exactly what it was, but it was, it definitely is near a hundred dollars and, and then could be a much more. And then that's not including like your canteens. You have to buy your flashlights. You have to buy your headlamp. your, um, you know, getting your stuff sewn on your uniform, like all these different things. Right. So there's a lot of expenses that really add up fast. And I had about three hundred, maybe five hundred dollars uh, to my name at one point when I was starting off my infantry training in Fort Benning. And so I was broke. I was big broke. Right. <laughs> and It was a struggle. I had to take out a loan from USA, uh, which are very generous with with new officers. And so I was grateful for that. Um, and like, it was like overnight I had 10 grand in my bank account, which is pretty crazy. Um, but you start making money, right? Like, I think this is true for all of us. Some people have student loans. Some people have car payments, you know, you have rent and different things. Some people, I guess some people don't, they go back home, but I think it's a tough time. It's a challenging time. When you leave college, you start making money. And so I was really interested in this. I kind of just at, at the beginning just started saving it and I didn't know what to do. Um, and then I went to ranger school when I got out of ranger school, moved to Fort Bragg. That's when I really started to dive in deep and um somebody recommended to me for the first time rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki and introduced me to a lot of dave ramsey principles and things like that and that was when i really started to take it seriously and i think one of the important things in that with the financial mindset was really starting to realize um what you're capable of in the united states of america um you know, I know I was pretty excited. I shared this last week that I saw that we actually 92% of our listeners, which obviously we're not, you know, I'm not having 10,000 people listen to each episode, but we got several hundred, you know, anywhere from like three to 500 people listen to each episode. And uh, only 92% are in the US, which is pretty cool. So we had like 1% in the UK, 1% in Canada. So shout out to my foreign seekers of excellence, dude, this is awesome. Uh, really exciting to have been expanded uh, internationally. Very, very, very tiny, you know, very little, but still exciting. Um, But so sorry, you know, this one is going to be different in different places as far as financial excellence goes. A lot of the principles still apply, but um, you know, I'm definitely speaking as an American about the opportunities that we have here mainly. Um, And those are abundant. And so I think, you know, one thing that I I shared in my first recording of this, sorry, my throat's all messed up today too. Uh, I got a little headache. So we're really thriving over here team. We're really thriving. So, Um, I was listening to Jordan Peterson last week. That was part of what got me so excited to come back and record after physical therapy before the whole Wi-Fi internet uh, power mishap. And one thing that he said that really struck me is he said, a lot of people spend a lot of nights staying up worrying or feeling guilty, whatever about wrongs that they've committed in the past and how they might mess up their lives in the future. Right. So, you know, I know people who are like this. I think there's a lot of women in my life who are like this where they spend a lot of time thinking about how I might mess something up in the future. Right. I might forget something, not me personally, but like we all do this, right? Like we think about this past weekend, for example, I was traveling to um, Tulsa. We went to Tulsa, Emily and I It was like our third uh, speaking gig together, which was pretty exciting. And so traveling, like you can think the night before, right? Like, what if I forget my talk? What if I forget my notes? What if I'm not good? What if I forget my passport and then I get messed up at the airport? What if we don't make our connection flight? Right there's all these different things that could go wrong. Um, what if I lose something? You know, like there's just so many, so many mistakes that could happen. And so Jordan Peterson was talking about how we're we're very naturally inclined to think about the ways we can mess up the future, but we're less inclined to think about the ways that we can improve the future, how we can make it better, the things that we can do that are good, that build things up, right, that improve our lives and the lives of other people. And so that's something I think is really important. I think that many people right now, if I ask you to brainstorm five to 10 terrible financial decisions you can make today, it'd be pretty easy for you to do so. I'm sure, Um, you know, uh, you could buy a car you can't afford, buy a house you can't afford. You could, um, you know, burn money (laughs) literally physically. Uh, You could just buy a bunch, rack up a bunch of credit card debt. You could stop paying your student loans and like default on loans and things like that. So there's a ton of different things you could do to make bad decisions. But if I ask you to think of what are five things you could do today to advance your financial situation, a lot of people don't have a good answer to that, right? And so that's what we want to do is start to build this foundation of what you can think about and, and ways that you can approach finances that can give you some optimism and hope. Because I think it's one of the things that, especially for you know the the fellow Black community out there, I think is one of the biggest um, the biggest disadvantages. Not disadvantages. Uh, Biggest negative impacts that come from like this victim mentality is constantly pushed upon us is that you can't make it financially in America. The funniest part is that most of the time you hear that from people who are black, who have been financially successful in the United States of America. Right. Al Sharpton's stupid self is not broke. Um, LeBron, who, you know, talks about the same stuff and oppression and things like that, is going to be a billionaire probably by the time he dies, um, if not way before that. And a lot of other actresses, actors and things like that, there's almost like this arrogance from them. that like, they could make it, but you can't. Uh, And that's just not true. Right. And so I love people like Chris Hogan, who works with Dave Ramsey, wrote the book Everyday Millionaires, who just he doesn't really attack it from a political standpoint. But he's just like, bro, that's not true. You know, like uh, one of the best ways to get over that is to just kind of stop accepting the lies that a lot of people want to push onto you and thinking that you can't succeed, whether you're a woman, whether you're black, whether you're Hispanic, whatever it is that minorities can't exceed, that those who are oppressed or victimized can't succeed. It's, it's the stupidest thing in the world. You really start to have to come to, to the point of having like a certain type of cockiness about you that says, you know, if one person could succeed that looks like me or thinks like me or acts like me, whatever, then I can do it, right? Like you, you shouldn't need a billion people to have done it before you, right? Like, uh, yeah, we're grateful for the pioneers and the people who go first, for the many, many people who have been the first whatever, uh, you know, in the United States, in different fields. But once that's happened, like get over, like you shouldn't really celebrate being the second, right? It's been done already, so uh, you know you should realize that it's very possible, and you should go after it and get after these dreams. Uh, you know, Dave Ramsey does a great job of breaking down a lot of the myths too. I think it's like something like seventy percent of the millionaires today did not inherit their wealth, and for some reason, you know, if you listen to, uh, I'm going to start cursing probably. I'm getting worked up now. But dumbasses like uh, Bernie Sanders, I've been seeing the, the tweet, the tweet uh, beef, but the Twitter beef between uh, Elon Musk and Bernie Sanders today has had me cracking up. But uh, Bernie, who's, you know, has changed his name, has changed his attack from millionaires and billionaires to just billionaires once he became a millionaire. Um, millionaire, by the way, sitting on his ass and doing nothing for 50 years, which is pretty incredible. Um, thanks to politics. When, when you when you take a lot of information from those people, you start to think. And it, it, it's always amazing to me. I, I did this when I talked about racism, too, of like, you know, they, they rate things from extremely liberal to extremely conservative and try to take polls on certain things. And when you poll people on things like uh, how many Black people are killed by the police, like there's people who think that 10,000 Black people are killed by the police each year. It's it's out it's outlandish. Like, it's absolutely absurd, right? It's less than 100. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to fix It, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try to you know train our police better or whatever but when you see how skewed things are it's really insane and so racism is one climate change is another um abortion statistics is another um that people on abortion statistics are actually like underestimating what how severe it is um but then when you, it's the same thing with money it's like like if you listen to people like bernie sanders or these politicians that talk to you about these things You think that there's no black millionaires. You think that there's no way that black people can be financially successful and not just black people, but, but people in general, ordinary people, right. Lower, lower class, middle class, lower middle class, you know, everyday Americans, working Americans, they talk to you like there's no way for you to succeed. And it's stupid. It's untrue. It's ridiculous. Right. So I've been blessed, you know, I'm not sharing this to be a douchebag. I'm sharing this to kind of give some credibility because I am, as I said, not a financial expert or advisor. But I've learned a lot about this and I've taken myself from that kid with $300 who came from a family with a lot of debt. You know, I think a lot of times like I have different family members and stuff like with negative net worths. I had $300 coming out of college, paid off the student loans um, that I had, which were very minimal because of ROTC and thanks to my grandparents' generosity um, and helping with the little bit that I did have uh, remaining. And so, but I still, I started with $300, have worked up to now at age 28. Six years later, to have a six-figure net worth, um, you know, thanks be to God uh, for both the wisdom that I've been given and the opportunities that I've had to to make money in my life. Um, Despite being a black man in America, I've still found a way to live like everybody else, right? Just still has a lot of opportunity, believe it or not. And so, sorry, I get kind of worked up about those things. Now let's transition into some money mindset, right? So this is the important stuff I think that's really crucial. So I look at making money and and being financially successful. Um, I I do try to approach it from the lens of the faith, right? And so before I actually get into the fundamentals, I just remembered something else I wanted to talk about that really kind of lays the groundwork here. And so I think this is really important because I think there's a lot of Catholics out there who think that thinking about this, talking about this is is sinful, it's greedy, it's it's wrong, right? Jesus talks and warns us many times about serving money over serving God um, and how wrong that is but here's what i'm telling you i always think back to the parable of the talents right where jesus talks about a master leaving his servants with certain amounts of money and he praises the one who takes what he has and makes more out of it right he scolds and and berates the one who just takes what he has and just buries it in the ground and so i remember going to the dominican republic when i was 18 19 and 20 years old and um seeing the poverty that i saw their extreme poverty i was really moved by it and i was like wow And I was even further moved because I think that I saw even more extreme poverty in Afghanistan. And I'm like, wow, these people legitimately do not have the opportunities that I have. The oppression that like LeBron and and people like that, the the woke mob talk about, like it actually exists in other places, right? It it did once upon a time exist in America not that long ago. You know, my, my grandmother faced some serious oppression. There's no doubt about it. Jim Crow laws and things like that. We've come a long way. We still have some progress to make for sure. But we've come a long, long way a long, long way. Right. And so when I saw these other like extreme levels of poverty, I'm like, wow, I need to be a good steward of my money. Like, and Jesus tells us that he's like, you need to be a good steward. Uh, right now in my parish, Our Lady of Lords in Denver, we're talking about financial stewardship and being a good financial steward and tithing and things like that. And so when you, when you hear the word stewardship, that's to me, responsibility, what God has entrusted you with, you have to be responsible for And you have to do well with whatever he's given you. That goes for your talents. That goes for your gifts. That goes for your relationships. goes for your mind, your body, your soul. goes with your job, uh, your family, right? Like all these different things, your emotions. And it also includes your money. So you can say, you can be upset. You can say, oh, your goal shouldn't be to be rich. It shouldn't be whatever. And I recognize that everybody's called to different things, right? St. Teresa of Calcutta is one of my heroes. St. Francis of Assisi, one of my heroes, took vows of poverty, lived lives of poverty. But I think one of the issues that we have is a lot of people want to fake be St. Francis of Assisi without actually doing it. And so you try to have And I I think it's honestly, and I think it's really funny in a lot of cases, because I see these people so often as you get to know, you know, especially like Catholic Instagram, Catholic Twitter, things like that. uh, A lot of these people and a lot of times they're women. um, Not always. And I'm sorry, you know, some people are going to get this is going to feel like this is an attack, but it's pretty funny to me that a lot of these people are women and they go and they become missionaries, whether it be Focus, Culture Project, or um, there's a ton of great missionary uh, organizations out there. I'm trying to think. Net is another great one. Um, And they go and become missionaries or they go and join, you know, become a youth minister or whatever. And they come from these rich families and they like have this like faux sense of poverty while still going on these like to their families' beach houses, on these like lavish vacations or getting to go and travel Europe and all this stuff, right? It's like they they live these lives of poverty. And then every time, you know, any feast day comes up of any European saint, they like post a picture at their tomb and it's like all this stuff. Now, I've never been to Europe. I've been to Lithuania with the army once. I flew through Germany to go to Afghanistan. But, you know, it's just it's really interesting to me how we have this like they don't like a lot of times those people, even they start making money, they don't want to learn about money. They don't because it's like it's dangerous, right? You can only read books that are written by Catholic saints and I can't learn about or think about money. And there's almost this assumption, I think, in a lot of them that um, because they've had this experience of like being taken care of financially so much that there's not this level of ownership and responsibility that I think we ought to have. Now, if you come from a background like mine where you've had to have that, where you've had older siblings or family members, you know, asking you to borrow money in your early mid 20s. It's different, right? When you recognize that you have to take responsibility and take care of other people in your life and your family, whatever, financially, you don't have the luxury of of being able to do that. So I think, and I don't think this is bound by race. So I'm not talking about just some type of white privilege. But I think there is a certain privilege that comes with being financially successful and raising a family that is that I think a lot of people and, and a lot of times your parents have misled you to kind of take on this, this financial ignorance, if you will, because you've just been taken care of forever. But like, I hope to have the mentality. And I think more Catholic kids should be raised with the mentality of how Shaq raised his kids, where he's like, you're not like, we're not rich. I'm rich. <laughs> you're broke, boy. You know what I mean? Like you need that. You need somebody to be like, yo, you're broke. Like it, it drives me nuts. Like people flexing and all this stuff that they have, or they, you know, have experience or whatever. And it's like, you haven't paid for any of that. Like, I'm not impressed by stuff that people have or have done and they haven't paid for it. Like, it's not impressive. And sometimes it's not flex. I'm not telling you to not post the pictures of the saints and the feast days on stuff. It's beautiful. It's great. But don't then do that and then be like, money's bad, money's evil, because it's, it just doesn't work like that. Like the church needs money to run. Every missionary organization that I named, they fundraise their salaries and they need donations. They need donors, right? Like over time, like Seeking Essence, we're going to start to accept donations so that we can continue to have great people on the podcast and to create more content create these videos and help people to, to actually achieve this life of excellence. Right. So don't, uh, all I'm saying, the only reason I criticize there for a little bit is to say, don't criticize learning about financial success, right. Because it's important. And and I think that it's something that is more important to those of us who were not raised in um, financially um, like Uh, I'm trying to think of the word that I want to use. Sorry, I still, I definitely still have COVID brain and my memory is like unfathomably bad. Um, But people who are not raised in financially settled um, or safe, I guess you could say, environments, right? So those people are going to be more passionate about money. It doesn't make it bad because we need people to raise money. We need people to raise money to give to places like Afghanistan and Dominican Republic and Haiti and all these places that really do suffer from serious oppression um, and um, lack of opportunity. Right. So we wanna we wanna be mindful of that and be good stewards. All right, I got a little bit more mindset for you. Then we're gonna get into some practical things, right? So check this out. So I look at money, my whole approach to money, my philosophy around it is like the game of basketball, right? And I'm kind of the head coach. In basketball, you have both offense and defense. You have to play both, right? You have to play both. The way that I view it is that defense is and what defense is what we're going to really hone in on today the next episode is going to be on offense defense is all about budgeting and making sure that the enemies what are your enemies uh trying to keep up with the joneses right trying to look rich trying to have nicer things than you can afford um the defense is, is the student loans that you have um any type of people who are trying to get you into debt trying to get you to buy a car you can't afford a house you can't afford um defense can be your spending habits right like you might be more naturally a spender than you are a saver. Um, it's all of that, right? It's, so it's the money that goes out from what the money that's coming in. Offense is all about your income and your assets, right? So offense is about, uh, you know, it's like scoring, right? It's like getting the score up uh, as opposed to trying to keep the score down for in another sense. And so um, offense is all about income and assets. And so in that episode, we're going to cover about um, ways that we uh, can increase our income ways to improve that and assets as far as investing, uh, in different ways. We'll talk a little bit about, um, like retirement investing, IRAs and 401ks. We'll talk a little bit about crypto. We'll talk about, uh, real estate. We'll talk about business. We'll talk about all kinds of different things, right? Creating a game winning strategy is it will be how we kind of close that one out. Um, and both of them have opponents, right? Just like when you're playing defense in basketball, you have opponents that are trying to score on you, um, and get the best of you. And then just like that, uh, in offense, you have defense, right? That's playing against you, um, and so we'll talk about all of those kind of things. We'll break that down, but first I want to talk just about budgeting. That's the defense. So one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given financially was to go back and do a ninety-day audit. And so I did this ninety-day audit on the last ninety days of my spending, and so I did this in about October, yeah, October of 2016. So about just over five years ago, which is pretty cool. And so I did my first 90 day audit. I went back and I literally like go back through every card statement you have. Most people aren't even using cash. We were using cash a lot more five years ago. So it's a little bit more difficult. But last five, last 90 days, go back in each month and see how much money you brought in and how much money went out. Like, I'm, I'm going to try to take this from somebody who's like, I'm trying to talk to the people who have just graduated from college or are, you know, 27 years old and have never budgeted in their life or are 35, or 40, or 50 who have never done any of this, right? And so I'm trying to make this basic. So some of it's going to be more basic, some of it's going to be a little bit more advanced. So I'm sorry to those who are already doing this stuff. Some of this might be boring to you, maybe fast forward a little bit. But I think, you know, if I were to ask you the question, this is a, this is a good, good kind of like litmus test for you. If I were to say, how much money do you bring in each month? And you don't know within like $250, something's wrong. Right, And maybe if you're a waitress or you're in sales or something like that, it varies a lot. Maybe you could give a window. But you should really have an idea of how much money you make, bro. You know what I mean? Like You should know how much money you're making. So have an idea of how much money am I making. What this 90-day review does is it says, how much money am I spending? So how much is going out, right? And so you want to have an idea of this and you want to be able to um, really start to see uh, where are the leaks in your budget. So. I've, I've also guided a lot of my friends and people through this in my life. And what a lot of people will come and realize is they're you know making two three four thousand dollars $4,000 a month. And they're like, holy shit, I'm spending $600 eating out each month, right? Sometimes it's more than that. I mean, when we were in the army, it's so easy to just go out to lunch, right? Instead of packing a lunch, just go out to lunch. Do you, do you know how much $10 to $20 per lunch each day adds up to at the end of the month? Then add in going out to a few bars throughout the, throughout the month and all this stuff. It's crazy. It really adds up. And so you want to be mindful of that and start to recognize, Okay, where are my leaks? Right. Where am I? Where am I dropping out? You know, just spending all types of crazy money. And so that's a really big uh, first thing. Go back, do your 90 day review, come back and let's let's wrap from here. So now when you're talking about budgeting, this is kind of the the very basic. Right. How much am I bringing in? How much is going out? Now, I do use mint.com as kind of a budgeting tool. But I still, I know it's get, it gets dogged on like social media and by places like Mint and all these other, um, you know, budgeting platforms, but I love Excel. I had I had a friend of mine who created a great Excel plat, uh, like kind of format for all of this and I still love to use Excel. Now I'm not excelling every single expense that I have, but when I create my budget, I think it's great to go ahead and create, use it, Excel to do that. If you're interested in learning more about that or finding that, I'd love to share a template with you. I also believe that... Uh, my boy, um, The Financial Arena on Instagram. I'm struggling to remember my man's name right now. It's not, a, it's not against you if you're listening. Um, I just, I can't remember anything <laughs> right now. And so, uh, but it's at The Financial Arena. I'll tag him in the show notes and post it on Instagram and tag him as well. He's got some budgeting tools and stuff like that as well that he's created, which are really great. So budgeting, uh, 10,000 foot view. I'd like to work on, uh, of work based on percentages, right? So percentages for me are the easiest way to break down the high level of what's working out, right? So obviously, first thing that comes out of your paycheck, if you have direct deposit, there's few exceptions to this in today's world, maybe 90% of the world receives direct deposit. That might be an exaggeration. I have no idea what that stat is. I totally just made it up. But at least I'm being transparent. But anyways, first thing that comes out, because we got big daddy government, they like to take their fair share, and by their fair share, I mean much more than their fair share, so that way they can spend it on dumb shit like training transgender, uh, you know, uh, mimes in Iran, right? Because that's what's important in the world. And so um, in order to do that, they have to take your money, and in order to pay for that. And so we're really grateful, obviously, for the roads and highways and, and public school systems and things that we have when I really is grateful for the public school system because it's kind of deranged now, but that's a whole nother podcast. Um, deranged in many places, not all places for sure. Um, but California, I can't imagine sending my kids to public school in California. Uh, might as well just send them to Russia, to the Soviet Union 40 years ago. Anyways, what I was saying was that the first thing that comes out is taxes, right? So you get taxed, it sucks. If you've never, <laughs> I literally, I always say only only people who aren't interested in making money, don't invest, all this stuff can be the only people who don't give a, give a damn about taxes, right? That, that vote for higher taxes and vote for the party that constantly wants to raise your taxes. Now, clarification on that, Republicans spend their butts off as well. It's one of the things that's like kind of a facade and I think is often criticized by conservative um, you know, commentators like Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh will point out the fact that like Republicans, when they get in office, don't spend less. It's, it's kind of a facade. Now, there's definitely, they I'd say they don't spend less, meaning that they don't put us into more debt because they typically do. Um, but they definitely spend a little bit less, I think, than the other party uh, who's just right now just like printing money. just It's just bonanza. It's a free for all. <clears throat> but you pay taxes, right? So your taxes come out first. Figure out what tax bracket you're in so you can have an idea of how much you're going to pay in taxes. Because you do want to have kind of your first bracket be what is your total uh, gross income. So gross income is before anything else comes out, right? So your gross income, what is that a year? What is your salary? So you can basically just break down your salary to twelve months or twenty-four pay periods, however you get paid. Uh, for some people, it's twenty-six. Obviously, if you get paid every other week, um, but break it down. What is your net? Your net income, and then subtract your taxes that you come out. If you look on your pay stub, you might have to go online. For us, we use a certain platform for Hallow. Um, you can go online and I can actually open up my pay stuff and say, okay, this is how much I pay in taxes each month. It sucks, dude. It's brutal. I, I wish more people did that because I think less people would uh, you know be so eager to spend government money um, and, and just pay higher taxes. A lot of people just don't know. That's the one downside of direct deposit is a lot of people just have no idea how much they're paying in taxes. But if you've ever at the end of the year, I had to last year, I paid like um, you know, an extra two thousand at the end, I owed money instead of getting a tax return. It's super, super sucked. I I hate it. I hate taxes so much. Uh, Obviously, there's a need for some, but it's just ridiculous how much we pay. But anyways, first comes out taxes. So that's your first percentage, right? Um, Along with that, your kind of next percent. The only reason I say that that's first is because you you have no choice, right? It just kind of happens. Everything after that, you have have a choice about. So off your net income, I want you to take 10% is what we shoot for for tithing, right? So tithing is really, really important. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about like, what should some of my posts be this week in regards to financial literacy and as Christians, dude, like tithing is not an option, even if you're in your twenties, even if you're in your teens, really tithing is not an option. Tithing is not an option. I don't know how to drill this into people's heads. It like blows my mind how much people don't tithe. It's <laughs> like, just like, it just, like it, it's incredible to me. You are in incur- like you have to tithe. Tithe means 10th. We learned that in the homily today. So typically, 10% is what you shoot for. Now, here's something I think is really important. Yes, I believe, personally, I'm just not coming out of the catechism. So look, you do your own discernment on this. Personally, I believe if you're in an incredibly struggling situation, right, let's say you're getting pounded by student loans, rent's really high, you live in a really expensive area, you're not making that much money. I think it's reasonable to say, okay, I'm not, I I can't do 10% right now, but here's what I can do 0% to me is unacceptable. It's also unacceptable to me to pay 5% if you're making 80 grand a year, right? So I think you have to be aware of that and and be honest with yourself and be bold and be a little stretched in how much you give. To me, it hurts me to see how much Emily and I kind of did our tithing together. We do it kind of separately. We're not fully combined yet. We're not like under one bank account, but we have like a shared card and things like that in certain ways. So Um, But we came together to like figure out some of our tithing because we're like, we're not going to utterly change when we get married. So let's kind of agree upon how we're going to tithe. Dude, it hurts me to see how much money goes away each month. And it's not it's not that I'm greedy, because I don't think that I'm a greedy person. I I think that I'm somebody who I try to be financially disciplined, but also being willing to splurge. I do think I found a, a decent middle ground after years and years of trying to figure that out. But it should be a little stretching right to tithe. It should be a little pooling, right? Um, But it should be something that's top of mind. Right. So we just got paid for going to speak in in Tulsa this past weekend. And tonight the Lord gave us opportunity. They're doing the appeal for the seminarians. We have two seminaries in Denver, uh, Catholic seminaries. And so I'm like, perfect. Like, that's what our 10% of that income will go to. And so it's kind of top of mind for me now after many years where I'm thinking about it. Right. And I'm like, you know what, we have to tithe on this new income that uh, doesn't automatically come out because it's not in our regular monthly income. So we don't have it like automatically uh, going to things, so I would say figure out what is going to be your percentage for tithing, and 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 be kind of hard on yourself, right? The goal was to get to ten percent, um, but I think it's reasonable. I was kind of pondering this tonight in mass, of you know we don't really give people a lot of leeway, like the the priest tonight when when uh, preaching on it did not really give a lot of leeway on the ten percent. And I think there's an argument to be made for that. Now, the challenge with that is if there's, no, if there's no leeway on the 10% when you're broke, then there shouldn't be much of an expectation for you to increase it when you're balling. That's my personal thought. I think that it's good to have a standard. Um, and I think there's a lot of ways in, in the church that we don't have a standard that we ought to, right? So like priests and religious have their expectations that they're going to pray, pray the liturgy, liturgy of the hours. But for us lay folk, man, the, the standards are pretty, are pretty low. And sometimes I think it's, it's why we have so many people who are not willing to meet them, because me personally, like I'm drawn and inspired by higher standards. I, I'm not really inspired by it. just going to mass on Sunday and go to confession once a year. Like that's mad easy. Right. So there's a lot of bums out there who don't get it done. Um, I call people bums. Maybe That's not a nice way to say it, because people are in different situations and different stages of their faith life. I get that. So, I, I, you know, I'm just rapping here. So don't don't hold don't hold me against don't hold this against me too much. But there's a lot of bums out there who don't get it done, right? That's the moral of the story. And so I think we have to recognize that it's great to have a standard. I'm grateful that the church gives a standard of 10%. But to me, I'd rather say, okay, your student loans, whatever, increase it 1% a year or whatever it is as your debt decreases and things like that, as you're, you're going to make more money. Typically, people make more income over, over time and increase it over time. Now, the beautiful thing about that, if you're making an 500 grand a year or 200 grand a year in 40 years, uh, based on your investments or whatever it might be, then you tithe a little bit higher, right? Then you have more money to give away. It's a beautiful thing. So I think it should be flexible because I don't think it makes sense for someone who's making $25,000 a year and has student loans to give 10%, and the person making a million dollars a year to give 10%. So I think we get too fixated on both sides on the 10%. And to me, I think it should be a little bit more fluid, a little bit more flexible to assist you when you're in tough times and to you know give more when you have uh blessings come out of nowhere right so it's just an idea but that's your next your next thing so to me taxes come tithing's 10% okay now your next percentage this is Dave Ramsey uh financial peace university total money makeover he says that you should invest 15% of your income now there's a lot of other things on the internet some people say 10% some people say 20% to me is a good amount. I think that's a solid percentage. So you pay your taxes. You have 10% going to tithing, 15% going to uh, investing, right? Now, I'm going to talk more about investing on the Offensive Podcast on Thursday. So just hold hold tight, hang tight on that one. So I'm not going to go too deep into that right now. But 15% goes into investments, right? Now, these numbers, in my opinion, both the tithing and the investing, and the next one I'm going to get into, come off your net income. So that means that it comes off the total number that you're making before taxes, right? So that's the other challenge, right? <laughs> Is that it's like, how am I paying? Ta- I'm pay- paying tithe on my taxes, basically. That's true. But if you make $1,000 a month, you know, you pay, um, let's say, $100 in taxes, the 10% of your tithing comes off the $1,000, right? Comes off the net income. And so then I'm paying $100, $100 in, uh, for my tithe Then the next one is you're paying 15% in investments, right? And so 15% in investments takes me to $150 for investments. I'm going to try to write down this little fake scenario I'm making, right? Just to keep things uh, simple. So $100 goes to taxes, $100 goes to uh, tithe, and then you got $150 going to investments, right? Cool. So the next one we're going to have is going to be your housing. And so some things on the internet, again, some financial uh, advisors and things like that on the internet is that it says uh, you should spend 30% on housing, give yourself 30% on housing. And then some people say that you spend uh, 25%. So Dave Ramsey says 25% on housing. So to me, I like that. I like 25% on housing. Um, The other thing that I like to do, and this is true kind of generally like another kind of financial mindset that I'd like to take is I like to exaggerate in favor of uh, financial success, right? So I always give, like the tie I always gives the financial success, right? So to me, like, so we say 25% on housing, right? Boom. So 25% on housing. But Then you if you ask the question, right, and this is a lot of debate on this as well. Um, and so when I say err on the side of financial success, What I mean is, all right, 30%, 25%, all right, boom, I'm going to err on the side of 25%. And then I take and I say, okay, um, housing, does that include Wi-Fi? Does that include utilities, all that stuff, right? Boom, I say, yeah, include it in there. So I get to spend 25% of my income on that, right? And so um, that can be pretty tough to to get in there. Uh, But that's the goal, right? So you want to have a goal. You want to shoot for high standards. I do the same thing, kind of erring on the side of what I say, erring on the side of success when I am projecting how much money I'll have in investments, right? Like you don't know what's going to happen, stock market, real estate, all these different things, right? But I try to err on the side when I'm making my projections, I'm going to talk to you through all of these things that I do that are kind of crazy and kind of weird. Emily thinks I'm kind of crazy about it. I've had literally like two and a half hour flights where I literally just have pen and a notebook and I'm just like creating financial plans. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's like my favorite thing in the world. Um, I, get really, I get really excited about it. It's almost as exciting for me as like writing talks and giving talks. But anyways... I include in that 25% housing. So that, that would include your rent or mortgage, uh, your utilities, and uh, you know, you could include Wi-Fi and stuff like that if you want to. I try to, right? So that's what I go for. So that means when I was moving here to Denver, I had that kind of guidelines. You know, I had this kind of guidance, right? And so this is one of the, the this is another kind of key fundamental of budgeting. You create your budget before you go spend your money. And the reason why you do that is because we had to do this with wedding planning, and it was painful. We had to do this with apartment hunting and house hunting, and it's painful, right? Because you get into your head, if you do it the opposite way, if you go in and if you go and shop around, even before spending, right? I, I try to set the budget before going shopping. Because if you set the budget first, then you at least have an idea of, okay, what are kind of my guidelines and what can I look at? So if I know that I have $10,000, $15,000 to spend on a car, I'm not going to the Mercedes dealership. Right? Like I'm just not there yet. I love I had a Cadillac in high school. It was a hand-me-down. I mean, it was a 92 Cadillac, and I was driving it in 2010. Um, and it was for my grandmother. I love I when I say I love that freaking car, big white Cadillac, six-seater, you know, like uh like lavender, kind of like purple. Um, not purple, purple's not the right word, like burgundy uh seating, like leather seat. Oh my gosh, it was so dope. We'd just be bumping around the city of Harrisburg, riding the Cadillac. If you were Ever in the Cadillac? Shout out to you for listening to this podcast. I love Cadillacs. I can't afford a Cadillac right now. So what did I do last year? I bought a car. I went to Toyota, bro. I went and got me a Camry. Went and got me a Toyota Camry. Now I I think uh, you know we can talk car shopping another time. But you want to set the budget before you go because it's easy to go. And even at the even at the Toyota dealership, I love. I am like Emily. I drive her crazy. I love. My three favorite cars of the world that are like not super outlandish, <clears throat> Toyota 4Runners, Chevy Tahoes, Chevy Suburbans. Love them. I love them. Dude, I would love to have one. Just move to Denver. I would love to have one of those cars. I bought me a Camry, right? And part of that is because I set my budget before I went. Now, if I had gone, had not really had a budget, had the amount of money that I have available to me. And like drove the Forerunner, had the salesman talk to me about the dopeness of the Forerunner. I'd be driving a Toyota Forerunner right now, right? Still making payments and not having it paid off like my Camry is. That's a problem, and so that's why you want to set your budget before you go out and do this. It's easy to fall in love with a part of the city, you know. You're like, oh man, you know, but I really want to live downtown. I really want to have three bedrooms. I really want to have whatever, you know, a pool. If you don't have your budget, you're going to just fit, you're going to stretch the budget to fit whatever it is that your heart desires, right? One of our biggest things here is being intentional and not being driven by your emotions, regulating your emotions, paying attention to your emotions, being healthy with your emotions, but they're not your leader, right? They're not in the driver's seat. They're great indicators, terrible drivers. And so we want to go ahead and set our budget before we go out. 25% on housing gives you a good kind of guideline to go off. And then you can use that and you can yeah change it for your situation as needed so i am a little bit stretched on that personally right now because i did somewhat budget the uh 25 on emily's income because we're going to be moving in she's going to be moving in here after we get married so knowing that i was like you know i would live in a place that's a little bit less nice i'd also live in a place that was less uh that didn't have this room that i'm in right now my study uh if i wasn't working from home right and so i knew that there's some good uh, financial opportunity with me and my job. Um, and I wanted to do well on my job and I care about it. I'm passionate about it. And I'm like, I can't do well in my job if I'm living, if I'm working in a bedroom, right? If I have a, a spare bed in my room or whatever, like I can't do that. Some people can. I knew that I wouldn't be able to. I needed a little bit of an office. And so I stretched it a little bit for the fact of having an office because I work from home and because we're getting married. And so we're going to be well within 25% once we get married and we don't have to pay Emily's rent. So 25% on housing, right? So if you give that 25% in our little fake scenario here, that brings us to $250 available for housing. Now you might be thinking to yourself, holy S-H-I-T, this isn't that dope, right? <laughs> you start to break this mess down. Look, let's add that up real quick. So you got 10% going to taxes. That's This is off a thousand dollar budget, right? thousand dollars a month, which if you're making thousand dollars a month, you need to have a second job because that's horrific. If, unless you're in college or something, but you know, we're trying to keep things simple. So I'm going to use a flat little thousand dollars, right? So a thousand dollars a month. That means if I got a hundred dollars going to taxes, 10%, hundred dollars going to tithing, 10%, 15, percent of my money is going to investing. So that's 150. And then 25% is going to housing. That adds up to a whopping. I'm going to do some mental math here real quick. Um, 350, 50, 50 $600. and or if you're keeping track, uh, that's about 60% of your income. So 60% of your income is gone, right? Just like that. And its I mean, it's devastating, right? This is what I'm talking about. Like tithing hurts, taxes start to hurt because 60% of it's gone. 15% of it, at least you're keeping in a certain sense, right? You're paying yourself. You're going to experience compound interest and start to grow that through your investment. But I mean, even, even if you look at that, you take that away, that's 45% of your income just gone right away, right? That's going to other people. That's either making other people rich, whether that be the government or you know in, investing in your community, in your church um, or your landlord, right? So <laughs> 45% gone, it's painful. So basically what I'm telling you to do is live on 40% of your income. Now, if you're making a lot of money, let's say you're making 10 grand a month, eight grand a month, six grand a month, um, and obviously, that's not a ton of money, but it is a good, good bit, especially in your 20s. You can, you can up some of those numbers, right? So I, I shoot to invest a little bit more than 15%. Um, and there's times where it's more times where it's less. But you want to go ahead and, and try to up those numbers. And, and just like you want to be generous with your tithing, right? There's certain times that people get certain appeals or whatever, or maybe you'll give a little bit more than you're giving. And so you're going to live on 40%. Now, let's take that 40% and this is what we're going to budget off. So this is what I just said. This is what you're going to go ahead and use to budget before you go out shopping. Right? Now, if you're in a situation, like let's say you're in a situation where you uh, jumped out of college and you just made every bad decision you could. You bought a house that you couldn't afford. You bought a car uh, that you have payments on. You know, you didn't buy it in cash. You um, you have student loans, right? Like you're just you're just all jacked up, living on forty percent, I and when you still have student loans to pay, a car payment and a house payment, or I guess the house payment would have been in the housing, but car payment and student loans, dude, that forty percent's gonna dry up quick. It's gonna dry up really quick. So that's what I'm talking about. You might have to make some adjustments there. Um, and I don't want this to go too long, so I might need to do a part two, then a part three. Uh, but you need to make some adjustments in there on your percentage that you're investing, your percentage that you're tithing, right? And, and maybe really try to, to get some adjustments on how much you can save on housing, right? Living in a house with a bunch of other people, living at home for a year or two, um, doing some of those things because people dig themselves into such a deep hole with debt. And it's really, really tragic. It's really, really tragic. So I uh, don't want to see you do that. And if you're struggling, you might have to adjust some of these numbers. But I'm trying to give you what I think is kind of the, the ideal, the excellence, right? And so let's talk about some of those things right now um, while we have a second. And then we'll go into some budgeting uh, stuff, a little bit more into the budgeting stuff, some budgeting hacks. So uh, obviously, I'm a big Dave Ramsey guy. Total Money Makeover is my jam. Uh, I think you have to have, you know, mentors, let's say, like I said earlier, kind of using the basketball example of, you know, defense is budgeting, offenses, investing and, and making more money, income, investing. Um, you want to have either mentors, or let's say, you know, advisors or whatever, as you're this coach, right? So to me, like Dave Rams is my defensive coordinator. When it comes to budgeting, when it comes to all of this stuff, like he's my go to guy. How much money should I be percentage wise, like breaking all that down? Like he has formed me in that. Uh, some of the budgeting hacks I'm going to tell you about are all of his. Um, and he's my dude for a lot of this mindset. Now, I think he does give some good at, at offensive advice but he's not as as aggressive as I think you can be in your 20s, right? Like, he, he he's the kind of guy that is great for you, I think, if you're going and you're, like, 40 years old and you're like, I've been a mess, a hot mess with money. Or even you're 30, or you're 25, and you're like, I've, I've dug myself into such a hole. Like, you don't need to be playing much offense. Like, it's straight defense at that point, right? Like, if, if you've done – you know, run up the score. Like the first thing you have to do is stop the bleeding, right? So like if, if you're getting blown out in basketball at 80 to 20, like, yeah, you need to start scoring points, but man, you got to stop them from scoring and, or else they're just going to whoop your butt. You know, you're never going to make it up. You're never going to score enough to outpace your, what you're giving up on defense. And so he's kind of my go-to guy. And I'm going to talk about some of my go-to guys for offense on uh, that next episode, but Dave Ramsey, he's really my go-to man, you know, he's my dude. And so I, I really rely on him for a lot of this stuff. And so one of his big things is, obviously, I'm, I'm very blessed to not have student loans. If you have student loans, there are really high rates. Like some of that debt, you have to get paid off immediately. Like I, I am fully on board with what Dave talks about. Like you need to be driving for Lyft, Uber, like finding a second job. Like if you're, oh man, it's painful. I, I've known people 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, $100,000 in debt. Like bro, you got to be on that ramen and no fun diet. Like like, I can't stress it enough. It is, it is so worth it. I'm super blessed. Uh, thanks to the United States army and you know, the United States taxpayer, I guess for Army ROTC. I mean, I at least gave you something for uh, the money that you gave me for college, but um, dude, like, like debt is a killer. Debt is an absolute killer. And I, it's one thing that I'm so grateful that I really did avoid uh, so wholeheartedly for such a long time. And so I always say, you know, I often would somewhat joke about like my, Car was my worst financial decision that I made because against Dave Ramsey's advice, I bought a new car, um, like fresh off the lot. Uh, I think I had four miles on it when I took it on this test drive. But the good news is that it is a Toyota Camry. They typically last like 30 years. Um, so my hope is that Emily and I's first kid will be driving that car when they turn 16. Um, and also I bought it, you know, largely with cash. I think I financed like $5,000 on it. And so I paid it off uh, within a year. I paid it off within a year. <clears throat> I never paid any interest. On, I think I paid like $60 in interest on it because I was always so far ahead of my payments. And so that's obviously the big thing of, of buying a car that's not cash. Um, one, when you buy a new car, it just drops in value so quickly. Uh, so you want to definitely, if you are going to buy a new car, do something like a Toyota Camry that is going to like hold its value for a really long time. Luckily in today's where I mean, I've even considered it like used cars are going for so much right now. I, I feel like a year later, I only have, I think when I hit my year mark, I had like 6,000 miles on it because I worked at Benedictine and didn't drive very much. And so uh, even now I'm still, I haven't hit 10,000. It's been 18 months. I haven't hit 10,000 miles on it. Um, And so, uh, you know, used cars go for so much. I'm like, man, that thing probably is worth more than I bought it for at this point. Um, And so you just want to be mindful of that though. When you're buying a car, car payments, you know, one of the biggest things that they hustle on, and I know I'm going to break an hour here soon, so I'm going to I'm going to wrap this up probably and then uh, save some of it for the next one. Uh, but one of the things that, that you really get hustled on like in buying a car, which I experienced, and I went by myself to the dealership and stuff, bought it in Northern Kentucky uh, when I was working at Dynamic Catholic. One of the biggest things they hustle you on is your monthly payment, right? So they will finesse uh, your down payment or finesse your Interest rate and all these different things to get you the monthly payment. Like, how much can you afford a month? That's what they'll ask you. And so, this is why you want to budget for a car. This the why the best way to do it is just buy it in cash. You don't have to mess with any of this and get mind effed into buying some things that you can't afford. Um, But they typically will try to hustle you by finagling, you know, all these other different things, Uh, the interest rate, uh, how many months you have to pay it for, um, or your down payment, right? So they'll they'll mess those things around so that they're still making their money, but they'll just try to give you the monthly payment that you want. So you just move the numbers around, right? Your car payment, dude, I can't express to you. I, I've, the only time I've ever had a car payment was for that 11 months, right? So I've been really blessed either having used cars or um, having paid my my Camry off. Uh, you know, like having a car payment sucks. And I still never paid it like regularly, like a regular person. Like I pay $1,000 in a month uh, just to see it go down because I hated that I owed anybody money. And I hated the fact that like somebody could take my car from me. I really don't think that's cool. And you really don't own the car until, until it's paid off, right? Like I I always stress this to people. This is the United States of America. As of now, we are still a free country. You're not a homeowner, truly, or a car owner until you own it. Like if, if the bank can come and take it from you, if they can make you leave, you don't own that thing. Right? Like that's not a thing in anything else in life. But for some reason, in car like car salesmen and real estate agents have convinced us. You, know, you get to take the cool picture with the house and like the keys. It's like, we're homeowners. And I think it's cool if you're on the journey of, of like you you have bought a house and you're on the journey of like really owning it, paying it off. That's dope. I'm excited to get there someday. I'm, I'm envious of you. I wish I had done it sooner in my life. But at the same time, like don't get hustled into thinking you own something that you don't. Like that's just, it's straight foolish. Like I'm not saying I'm going to be a straight jerk to the real estate agent and be like, dude, I don't really own this. You know, the bank owns it. But at the same time, you have to recognize that. And so I hated that I hated that aspect of debt. But a car payment can kill you, guys. Student loans can kill you. And if you're if you're somebody, please, if you're somebody out there just getting your ass kicked by student loans, please start to evangelize. Please start to tell your younger siblings, your younger friends, whatever these your family members, like to tell like it's okay to go to community college for 2 years. It's okay to not go to these expensive schools that just wreck your life, dude. Like these people who just go and rack up tens of thousands of dollars a day. I do not understand, my friends. I I, I mean, it's something that Dave talks about, Chris Hogan talks about, every financial, Grant Cardone, all the people I'm going to talk about on the offensive side. Dude, like college is such a scam. It's such a scam. People pay all that money to come out and make 40 grand a year. Like it makes no sense. And I think this is one of the things that comes from us undervaluing being good stewards with our money. Because when you're not focused on that, when you're not thinking about being a good steward, you're not thinking about being financially successful for you and for the sake of other people and for the sake of supporting the church and for the sake of supporting the poor and for the sake of supporting your family, then you don't think about this stuff and you're just thinking me, me, me. And if it's just me, then yeah, I can just go into 10,000, you know, tens of tens of thousand dollars of debt. Who cares? Right. I can figure it out and then I can blame the government and get mad and hope that they'll pay off my student loans. You can do that then. But if you're not thinking that way, if you're actually thinking intentionally and you're like, how can I be a good steward of my funds? Is this, you know, uh, underwater basket weaving degree uh, and 60 grand of student loans? Is this being a good steward just because I like basket weaving and love being holding my breath? Like Probably not, bro. Probably not, my friend. You know, I'm all for art degrees, but you can do a lot of artistic stuff for free online. Masterclass is great. YouTube is awesome. Google is wonderful. Amazon has a lot of books and you can learn a lot of ish for a lot cheaper. And a lot of people who become millionaires do not rack up a ton of debt and student loans. You can do it still. I'm not telling you to be distraught and pessimistic, but if you've done that, like talk to people who haven't yet and maybe, maybe talk them out of it and talk about how hard it is on the other side. Cause we just lie to kids so much. And it's so frustrating to me because we set all these kids up to to, to fail And the reason why they want you to do that is because it just gets you outraged. It gets you mad at the system and gets you mad at the way things are set up. And they talk about wanting to change it and they never will. It's all these false promises. That's why you still have your student loans. Biden's not going to pay them off. They just run on that and they don't do it. Bernie wouldn't have done it either. So don't think that he would have saved your day either. And then it's like, who pays for it? Me? You know, those of us, like, do I get more money then? Because I don't have student loans and I went to Afghanistan for my student loans to be paid for and you didn't, you know? Like it's just what it's one of those crazy things, but guys, the the moral of the story is that debt can kill you. I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping up and we'll launch off the next episode talking about the debt snowball and some of the practical things that I did to really learn how to budget. Um this is probably going to be a three-parter and we're going to talk many, many more times in the future about this topic cuz I wish I talked about it more often. I'm sorry that I took so long to get to it here. Uh but we're going to get into some of that stuff, but I'm telling you guys, be an evangelist when it comes to financial literacy. Teach people about this. Ask people about it. Learn more about it. Take it seriously. Be a lifelong learner in this regard because it's a game changer. And I'm telling you, it's so much more fun. This is something I want to talk about more when we get into budgeting. It's so much more fun to buy things when you have saved up for it than it is to just spend money and then stress about it. Right? And I've done that. I've done both over and over again throughout the last six years of my life as I've been more intentional with my money. And it's just so fun. I'm telling you, I... I saved up before I bought my MacBook Pro um, laptop that I'm recording on right now. And I love, and it's like, it's awesome. I I love that. I love that I saved up for it and I bought it. It's super helpful. Saving up for my car, even though I didn't do it the exact same way I would now, it's still, you know, to be able to pay it off in a year. And like, and and every time I drive that, you know how awesome it is to drive a car that's paid off? Especially a car that's paid off that's, that's dope. Like, I mean, I'm not driving a Benz, but like, it's a nice, it's a nice Camry. Like I didn't get the cheapest, you know, crappiest one, like I, I you know, like, you know, like, like that's broken down. Like I, I haven't, it's a nice car and I love it. And I'm like, man, like, this is mine. Like I own it. Like it's the titles in my name, bro. You know, like it's awesome. It's like, this is cool to own stuff. Um, And it doesn't mean you're materialistic. I, I you know, I don't go shopping for clothes. Like I need new sneakers so bad. And so there's times in my life, there's areas that I, I try to be cheap. And there's times where I'm like, Emily, let's go out, you know, to this nice steakhouse. Let's go Spend money on Broncos tickets. Let's, let's do this or that. You know, we want to spend a lot and have a a really nice honeymoon. And so there's times where you spend money. I'm not telling you to be cheap. I'm not telling you to be, uh, you know, materialistic. So there's going to be a a fine line we're going to journey on as we continue to figure out this balance. Uh, The virtue is often in the mean, I think that's true with money. Um, But the, the one thing we can't be is is not a good steward, right? That's the thing we're going to be extreme on and be intentional with. Um, And so I hope you learned something today. If you did, This is a great one to share with other people, to journey with other people, and to have accountability because there's going to be a lot of practical steps we're going to continue to get into. Uh, Your homework for today is to go back. If you've never done the 90-day thing, uh, do the 90-day, and then I want you to go ahead and break down your money of your income, right? And try to just go through that 10%, um, the percentages that we walked through today. So go back, do your 90-day review, figure out what your net income is, and then I want you to figure out how much you're paying in taxes, how much you're tithing, how much you're investing. Um, if you don't know how to invest, you've never started to just wait a few days. We got more. We're going to have podcasts coming out. that will give you some practical guides on that and then uh, figure out how much you're paying for housing. What percentage of your income is going to housing and just kind of that's kind of your your beginning, your starter budget that we'll work with there. And then, you know, at least moving from there that you have that 40 percent remaining to spend and your spending money can't go over that. And so we'll talk about that, break that down a little bit more in the future. Um, thanks for joining today. Like I said, if you if you did get something out of this, if you enjoyed it if you learn something, please share it with other people. Um, it's the only thing that we ask, uh, as I said before, you know, one day we're going to ask you for donations and things like that. Maybe, um, if you feel compelled to give, you can to support us so we can have a better equipment, make better content, get better people on the podcast to share with you. Um, but for now, all I ask you to do is leave a review and to share the podcast on social media with your friends, um, and in any other way that you see fit. And so Uh, Thank you so much. I'm going to continue to write about this as well. So there'll be some written content that'll have a little bit of a different approach and will be an easier way to kind of reference some of the homework and stuff that I'm laying out. So definitely subscribe to our blog or at least follow us on social media so you can see when that stuff comes out as well. As always, continue to fight hard. Strive to be your best. Never out of the fight. We are never out of the fight, my friends. God bless.